I try not to take it personally that the children seem so excited about leaving my presence every Sunday morning, literally racing to be far away from my voice. Oh, man. Sometimes we just need that simple reminder, don't we? That he is good. That his steadfast love endures. I just love the simplicity sometimes of the Psalms. It just brings us home to those things that are true. And I just want to thank you guys for being here this morning. There's a lot of other things you could be doing with your time. I want you to know that God sees you today. That he knows what's going on in your life. He can see into your heart, your thoughts, the things that are troubling you and maybe that you're worked up about, anxious about, fearful, over, doubting, whatever it might be. And he wants to meet you here today if you'll let him. Um, And so I'm excited to dive into this message today and just this series we've been talking about is just so foundational to what it is that we believe and how we live our lives as followers of Christ. But I want to start today uh, just by getting uh, down to the brass tacks of life. And that's this, is that I love to eat. Anybody else share that passion with me out there? Yes, that's the real reason why I run, so that I can eat barbecue and chocolate chip cookies without thinking too hardly about that. And if you're in the medical field, don't don't sermon me about how that's not a viable way to live your life, because that's what I've put my whole faith in. So, (laughs) Okay, but we all feed on something. All right, physically, we all eat several times a day, but spiritually, emotionally, mentally, we feed our souls as well. And we do that in all kinds of healthy and unhealthy ways, social media threads that make us feel valued or appreciated or wanted, or sadly, sometimes the exact opposite of that. We feed on success in maybe our academics or our careers, sports or hobbies, our kids' success, the stock market or bank accounts, addictions, sometimes the feeling of just being needed by other people feeds our soul. Some people even feed on conflict and controversy. And I don't know what those people's deal is. Um, that boggles my mind if you're a person like that. Nothing, no, no offense, but whew, to each their own, right? But we're all looking to something to feed and nourish our souls. Remember, we've been talking about that as humans, we've all had these longings and these desires. We've been hardwired by God to have this soul hunger. And much of the trouble we find ourselves in is a result of misplaced desires. When we've placed our hopes in worldly things or in people in this world that at best can only give us temporary satisfaction. And we've been following along with this extended conversation that Jesus is having with this large crowd at a synagogue in a town called Capernaum. And it was kind of the home base for Jesus during his home ministry, a place that he kind of came back to. It was about 20 miles away from where he grew up in Nazareth. People were familiar with him there. They knew his family. A lot of the disciples were from there. And so there was a familiarity that made the miraculous a little bit hard for them to swallow sometimes. And many of these people have been following Jesus since the miraculous feeding we talked about at the beginning of chapter 6, the the five loaves and the two fish incident. But Jesus has been since then trying to shift the conversation from the temporary meal 
to this eternal feeding. He longs for the crowd to receive bread that will never spoil, but that will endure unto eternal life. But there's this resistance there. There's this hardness of heart and a misunderstanding of what exactly Jesus is trying to offer them. They can't break out of this literal conversation or understanding of food. (laughs) And they're struggling to understand how this carpenter's son from the next town over keeps talking about how he came down from heaven. Jesus' claims seem preposterous to them, which makes everything else that he says after that just really hard for them to digest. And at every point in in the John 6 conversation, it seems like the crowd is trying to dodge or distract or kind of throw up some ridiculous question as kind of a smokescreen from having to really deal with the message and the claims of Christ. And we do that sometimes as well. Go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 6 again. It's page 1520 in your pew Bibles. We're going to start in verse 48 today. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat. So in verse 48, he comes back to the claim that he made in verse 35, which is, I am the bread of life. And he's been talking for a while now about what they are searching for to satisfy this hunger that we all suffer from. And I wonder if for the second time when he tells them the the only answer to their longing If he says those words, I am the bread of life, and then just kind of pauses and looks out at the crowd. We have to keep in mind that these are people that matter desperately to them, to him, right? He he loves them. He created each one of them. And in, in just a few years, he's going to literally die for everybody that he's looking at as he says these words. And I can't imagine the pain that Jesus feels in that moment as people are either being slow to respond or not responding at all to his invitation. And I imagine that it's pretty heartbreaking for Jesus every time our hearts resist his pursuit and his provision for us as well. And in verse 49, he begins to contrast the bread that their ancestors ate in the wilderness during the time of Moses. They crossed the Red Sea and they went out into the desert and God would rain down this bread called manna from heaven every day. And this bread only lasted one day and everybody who ate of that bread still eventually died, right? It was limited in its scope. And this is a different and lasting bread that Christ is offering them. And in two verses, verses 50 In 51, Jesus keeps hammering home the offer. He says, here's the bread. 
I am the living bread. Whoever eats this bread, this bread is my flesh. Why do you, keep, he, why do you think he keeps saying it? <laughs> Four times in two verses, he just keeps hammering this message in. What's his strategy here? Any thoughts? All right. Hey, thanks for coming, guys. Uh, have a great week. Yes. So, oh, look at there. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um, just basically, you know, I think it's kind of like they say when, when once you've, uh, you have to say something seven times for people for it to really take root, right? That's an old teaching strategy or just reality, right? Especially if you're delivering a new concept to someone. So I think you're right. It's more of just kind of the redundancy of like, I'm going to keep saying this message until we find a way to break through your, your misunderstanding of what I'm trying to communicate, right? And so he just keeps saying this. It's almost kind of like that discussion on concentric circles, except he's kind of bringing it into the middle. He says, here's a different bread that came from heaven. I'm that bread. Eat of me. It's my flesh that I'm giving. And we have to be mindful that there are a couple of really disturbing things that Jesus is saying for these Jewish ears to hear right now. Okay, there's some historical context here to keep in mind. The first is this radically inclusive language that he's using. He says, anyone may eat, whoever eats. He says he's going to give himself for the life of the world. So for folks who have been told their whole lives that they are God's special people, chosen people, set apart for him, to now hear that this invitation is going to everyone and somehow it seems that their standing has been lessened, that's a huge offense to them. They're thinking, so these uncircumcised non-Jews are going to get the benefits that our Messiah has to offer? I mean, that is a massive paradigm shift for this audience. Right? And sometimes we have to keep in mind, when you look at these audience, we think, these people are idiots. <laughs> right? And we just, there's a way bigger picture going on here than most of the time we maybe understand or we take the time to kind of slow down and think, okay, no, wait a minute. So this inclusive language is disturbing. The second issue we see in verse 52, and that's that they actually think that Jesus is kind of like telling them to be cannibals. Eating flesh and blood were strictly forbidden by Jewish law. Okay, just a couple of Old Testament verses real quick from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Because the life of every creature is its blood, that is why I've said to the Israelites, you must not eat the blood of any creature because the life of every creature is in its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. But be sure you do not eat the blood because the blood is the life and you must not eat the life with the meat. Okay, so they've got all these regulations and, and laws and rules and ways of living that are floating around in their heads and they're trying to make sense of all this. So I want you to stay with me here, okay? It's important for us to get into the mindset of this crowd. 
The Jewish nation has been waiting for a Messiah, a Savior, for literally a couple thousand years plus. And now this Jesus guy comes along. And he certainly preaches and performs miracles like somebody who could be the Messiah. But he's just a guy who grew up an ordinary craftsman in the next town over. They know his folks. They know his siblings. And then he's talking about coming down from heaven. And again and again, he keeps saying that. And then he tosses around the I am statement, which you can only say if you are God. And now he's saying he came for everyone in the world, not just us. And that we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. <laughs> Guys, it's hard for us to understand how disorienting and offensive and just incredibly infuriating this language had to be for this audience. So to see through all of that, kind of like we were talking about over here, right? To see through all of that, to hear Jesus' heart and what he's really trying to say and offer would take an incredible amount of trust, an incredible amount of faith and just humility. <laughs> and he's throwing these people into the deep end theologically. And he goes further to inform them that this bread is my flesh and I'm going to give it for the life of the world. And if you remember, he's, what he's doing is he's answering a question that they asked way back at the beginning of this conversation in verse 30, right? They said, hey, would you show us a sign and then we'll believe. And he's like, okay, you want a sign? I'm going to lay down my life for you. That's the sign. And here we see the cross being cast out before them. But they are so offended by this point of like the last 10 things that Jesus said that I don't even think they're tracking with him anymore. You ever get like that? <laughs> right? Where, where somebody says something and you're stuck on that thing and then they say a bunch of stuff after that and you're just like, I, I don't even know. You know I missed all that because I'm just like, What? Because what they should be asking is, why do you have to give your life for us? Isn't that the question that we should all be asking? Especially in the midst of what seems like some hard or troubling teachings that we have to wrestle with as Christ followers, why does he have to die for us in the first place? I want you to pay attention to this next sentence because I'm going to ask you a question and I want us to do better than we did last time, okay? So I want you to hang in here, all right? Because once we acknowledge the truth of our need for his sacrificial death to redeem us from our sin nature, then every command or request that follows from our Savior's lips takes on a new tone and perspective. I'll say it again. Once we acknowledge the truth of our need for his sacrificial death to redeem us from our sin nature, then every command or request that follows from our Savior's lips takes on a new tone and perspective. Why? Yeah, Justin.
Okay. Yeah. Because on the, on the backside of him saving us from our sin, the things that then he would ask us to do in response to that gift aren't received as a burden anymore. Does that make sense? Is that paraphrasing what you said? That was a great answer. Yeah, Jane. Yeah. We're doing this out of our sin. That's great. Good answer, man. Yeah. Is that, you know, when we understand that his sacrifice on the cross for our sin condition that we couldn't solve on our own, that that was such a loving and kind action for us, then anything that he would ask us to do as followers of Christ, we would have to understand that his heart is love for us. Even if it challenges us, even if we maybe don't disagree with it, or it's a really difficult thing that we have to shift in our understanding of what life means and what it's all about, right? That we have to understand the heart behind it is love that we saw on the cross, okay? Good job, guys. Justin and James bailed y'all out today. I'm just telling you. I know your answer was going to be just as good, but you can email them to me later, okay? Guys, not to mention the unbelievable promises that accompany his death for us. By the way, he says, this bread that I give you, if you eat of it, you will never die. You will live forever. Can you imagine being Jesus here? He's telling these folks what will save them, right? What will give them eternal life. He's promising in the verses that we looked at last week that if you receive him, that he will never drive you away. Remember we talked about that promise? The other promise we talked about is he says, I won't lose even one of the, of the children that the Father has for me, right? They're mine forever. He's delivering one unbelievable promise after another. Good news for all of humanity. But every time in this passage, he kind of stops to take a breath. What is the crowd doing? It says things like the Jews began to grumble. The Jews began to argue. It would be like me coming here this morning and saying, hey, folks, after the service, I'm going to meet all of you guys on the lawn over here. I'm going to give everyone here a coupon that's going to be good for a million dollars a month the rest of your life. All you have to do when you're over there is just you got to get a card. You got to fill it out. Okay, give me your address, all that stuff. You need to put your bank information because we're just going to direct deposit this money into your bank account every month at the beginning of that time. Now, imagine if I came to you and I'm thinking, man, they're going to be so excited about this. I can't wait to share this news. And then as soon as we said amen at the end of the service, somebody come up and said, we're going to meet out on the lawn. Oh, man, I've got allergies. Like, do you think we could just all just meet in the community room? That'd just be better for me. Or, or something like, um, you know, did you say that anyone could get that cash? Because some of these folks, I've, I've been looking around. They're hardly here. Maybe their first time here. And I come, like, pretty much all the time. So, like, shouldn't I get more money than the other person? 
Or what if you came up to me and said, you know, I really don't want to fill anything out. Um, my hand's cramping from writing thank you cards from graduation, and um, I just really don't have time to do that. So could you just come up with a different way for me? That'd be awesome, right? That's absurd, <laughs> right? Most of us should just be like, what do I got to do, Bob? I mean, I'll wash your car, I'll massage your feet, like, I'll do anything, right, for a million dollars a month forever. But Jesus is, is well aware that the language that he's using, the imagery that he has for them is stretching their faith and their patience. He knows this. But he just keeps taking the metaphor even deeper. Okay, back in, back in chapter 6, now we're going to look at verse 53 through 58. So the Jews are arguing about this, you know, saying, thinking he's telling them to be cannibals. In 53, it says, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Y'all, I got to be honest with you. This was a bear <laughs> to study and write on. As you can tell just from reading this, like this is very deep thinking here about the faith. So I'm doing the best I can to, to bring it down to a level that we can understand. Okay? But I really think 53 is the key verse here. Our translation that you guys read us said very truly. In a lot of other translations that says truly, truly. And so whenever you see something repeated a couple times, they do that for emphasis. That means like, listen up. This is really important. Jesus says, unless you do this, there is no life in you. Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. This isn't optional. It's not a command or a path that we can either choose to do or not do. There isn't some other way to receive eternal life. And Jesus uses this kind of language all throughout the Gospels. He makes this, these unless you statements. Unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart, you won't be forgiven either. Unless you repent, you too will perish. Unless someone is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Guys, Jesus is the bread of life. He is the only answer to what it is that you're looking for. He, and he makes the rules. <laughs> it's on his terms. He's got unbelievable benefits to satisfy our soul hunger forever, but we have to come to him the way that he says. And he says, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That goes for all of us. So what does he mean? 
right? We better figure this out. This is my best take, okay? Eating and drinking are images of internalizing things. Verse 57 says that we need to feed on him. So eating and drinking are actions of receiving. Okay, when you sit down to have a meal, you're not producing anything. You're consuming. It's a posture that Jesus is describing. And he's using eating and drinking because it's normal everyday activities that we do multiple times. And such is our faith. We have to come to him to receive his word, his promises, his spirit that dwells in us daily, right? It has to be a part of us. Jesus doesn't want us to be observers of the feast he offers. He doesn't come as bread and wine for us to admire how it looks on the table that he's prepared for us. He doesn't want us just to sniff it. He doesn't want us to just nibble around the edges of it. He wants us to receive, to eat, to consume him. You see, because some folks kind of come to church and, and they do just that. They admire the teachings of Jesus. They, you know, kind of participate in and kind of love just good music. Some people come because they like just the community, the friendships that they have here, and, and they love those things that church provides. But they never really taste and see that the Lord is good. They never encounter or experience Christ. They're there, but they're kind of keeping Jesus at a distance from their heart all the time. Just enough of him to feel good about yourself, <laughs> but not too much of him that it changes your life any or confronts some things that you don't want to change. But guys, Jesus is describing something so much more intimate than that. He wants us to encounter him in the deepest way possible. Being saved isn't just about praying a prayer or about believing a list of things about who Jesus is and what he did. It's about a oneness with him. A oneness with him. Look at verse 56 again. He said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. He's pointing ahead to the cross and the literal giving of his body and blood for the life of the world. And we have to receive what he did on the cross for us. His flesh bore our lashes. His lifeblood poured out so ours wouldn't have to be. His crucified body spared us all from eternal death. And Jesus is describing this ongoing, dependent relationship of consuming him, of taking in the person of Christ, remembering the cross on a daily basis, feasting on redemption, drinking up his mercy. And if we engage in that daily reminding, he remains in us. And there's this shared life that we have with him, this mutual indwelling 
as we receive him into our hearts, he becomes a part of us. It's this cosmic and mystical merging. Like the human connection of sex on a physical level, his presence in us becomes the answer. I'm sorry. We merge with God on an intimate, emotional, and spiritual level when we feast on him. And his presence becomes the answer to our soul hunger. Everything that we've been looking for in our lives, the connection, being seen and known and loved by him, fully received and embraced in all our imperfections, he is home inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And without that intimate merging, there is no eternal life. That's why he's using this language of, of food and drink. He's trying to explain to them, you've got to consume me. It's got to, it's got to enter you. It's got to become a part of you, right? For a time, the food that we eat becomes a part of us, right? We're one with whatever it is we just put in our bodies. Let's look at a couple of verses that kind of drive this imagery home a little bit. John 14, 20, Jesus says, on that day you will receive, you realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Okay, the Father and the Jesus are one. When we enter into relationship with Christ, we join in that oneness with him. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul said in another verse, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Guys, as I said last week, <clears throat> I absolutely love bread. Right? We've covered this, right? But I like bread best when it's warm. Right? The butter just melts on it. Like you don't even have to do anything. And it's soft and it's so good to eat. And when someone serves me warm bread, it also communicates a level of care and intentionality. Right? They've kind of timed it all out so that it's hot from the oven when you get there. Jesus offers his life every day through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And his bread for us is always fresh. It's always timely and given with purpose and meaning for the challenges that we face in life. And now this is key, okay? He gives us his bread and in turn, we are called to pass that bread on to a spiritually starving world around us. The bread that he gives us, we are called to pass on to a spiritually starving world around us. So here's the question. What are we offering those in our sphere of influence? Our friends, our spouse, our children, our co-workers, teammates, co-laborers in the mission field. What are we offering them? One of my all-time favorite quotes is from a writer named Ruth Haley Barton. This is what she says. 
But one of the things I know for sure is that those who are looking to us for spiritual sustenance need us first and foremost to be spiritual seekers ourselves. They need us to keep searching for the bread of life that feeds our own souls so that we can guide them to places of sustenance for their own souls. Then, rather than offering the cold stone of past devotionals, regurgitated apologetics, or someone else's musings about the spiritual life, we will have bread to offer that is warm from the oven of our own intimacy with God. We all like warm bread, right? Someone comes to you today, you encounter whoever you're going to encounter in life, and they really need some spiritual sustenance. They're hurting, they're searching, they're discouraged. What do you have to offer them? Is it oh man, I went to this great conference three months ago and it really impacted me. I had this great quiet time six months ago and I learned this one thing. Or is it this? <laughs> Today, I spent time with God and he had this to share with me. Or this song that we sang this morning touched me and this is why. And this is the hope I want to offer you today. When people encounter us, I hope that being, by being around us, our oneness with Christ would allow them to taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't rely on bread that you've had in the cupboard for a while. Jesus has warm bread for you today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, man, uh, <laughs> I just want to thank you for um, just the imagery you give us, first of all, that you continually kind of fill us with these word pictures, <laughs> that we can sink our teeth into, <laughs> pun intended. And so I thank you for this image of bread and just something that we need on a, on a daily, regular basis. And that you invite us into this relationship where you say, I want to, I don't want to just be known by you. I, I want to become one with you. I want to be so close to you that, we, that I'm literally dwelling in you. That's the kind of intimate relationship you're looking for with your people. And another thing, I'm just thinking about it as I'm praying this right now, another thing that was just a mind blower for that crowd is that up to that point, God was not somebody that you could even get near, right? The, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year to give a sacrifice on behalf of the people of Israel, and he was the only one that could enter in to God's presence. And now you're coming and you're saying that that presence, that you can come and, and be inside of us. That was just another thing that was just like so foreign to their understanding. And so I thank you for your intimacy. 
I thank you for the promises that you have for us. Help us not to be like the crowd who just kind of scoffs at these amazing things that you're offering us. Because God, at the level at which we take them in and put our trust and our life in the hands of you is the level at which you can use us, God, to then impact others, to provide sustenance to somebody else who's desperately hungry for you. God, help us to be warm bread to this world. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close?